Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. All right, so first question here. As a non-traditional applicant, I never really counted how many hours I volunteered or participated in clubs and sports before I decided to pursue medicine and until I realized that you have to supply a number on apps. Some of these activities were years ago, and I, and I absolutely do not remember how much of my time I spent doing them. How do I estimate hours for my application for these activities? Uh, you answered your own question. You estimate hours. <laughs> you estimate them, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, you have to, if you didn't keep track of it, you have to just say, because they're not going to, they're not going to call the coordinator and say, did he really do 45 hours at your place and <laughs> stuff like that. So, you know, just, uh, just estimate the best you can and that's all you can do. That's all you can do. Best guess. Yeah. Nothing's yep. getting checked. So you're not going to get called out. Obviously it needs to make sense. It can't be super exaggerated. Right. Um, so <clears throat> I would say go on the conservative side, but yeah. Yeah, that's probably best. Agree. Ryan, we're getting some feedback that you sound quiet. So I don't know if that just means Scott and I need to be quieter. But if you can do anything to up your mic a little. Oh, my mic's hot already. I can come up like this. Is that any better? I don't know. Let's give it 10 you seconds. sound good to me. Yeah. <laughs> I do not know. Keep on going. I think they can hear you. They're just saying you're quieter than we are. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, We're very loud. Well, and and I have a, a setting turned off on StreamYard because I use a different <sighs> So maybe that's it. Anyway, next question. I'd love some feedback regarding my situation. I'm a non-trad with a large family, small business, home, and com uh, completing my bachelor's degree. I volunteer to sit with CPS children in the hospital as they physically recover and have been virtually shadowing. I find this is really all I have time for in my schedule at the moment. I worked as a CNA for many years in the past, but it has been over six years since I've worked in healthcare. I plan to get more clinical experience during the summer. Do we have the rest of the question, Rachel? I know. Oh. That was all that was. Sorry, multitasking. Yeah, the, um, the next two questions were, were uh, blocked off. Truncated, so. yeah. Let's um, go. The one that's about uh, non-trad large family? Yep. Yes. Uh, okay, so. They never really counted how many hours they volunteered or participated in clubs. Realize before I realized you have to supply on a number of apps. Some of these activities were years ago. Oh no, that's the wrong one. That we already not did that one. Yeah, the next one. Another non-trad one. Yeah, I had. It says starts off. I'd love some feedback regarding my situation. Okay. Um, I plan to get more clinical experience during the summer. The summer months is this is when I'll have time in my schedule. Finally, having the time and finances to pursue this dream of medicine just wasn't possible until now. I don't want to sound like I'm just, quote, checking boxes, end quote, mm. but 
how will a med school admissions committee view me with my current experience? So it sounds like she's saying she's going to get a bunch of clinical after she submitted her application. Mm. Yeah. So I would say in that situation, wait, don't submit until into the summer. I mean, typically, um, or at least maybe midway through the summer until you've accumulated some of those hours and you have, uh, can put on, put them on there, not as only future tense stuff, but as current and future tense stuff. Um, because otherwise, if you just say, well, I plan to do that, this uh, during the summer, that's relevant, but it's not the same as having already done it or started it or whatever. So I would say, I mean, my, my opinion on that would be maybe, you know, depending on when you start, give it a few weeks and then submit your application, having had a few weeks under your belt and say, this is what I am going to continue to do for the remainder of the summer. Yes, yes. Cool. All right, and then the next one cuts off too as well, Rachel, so if you can be prepared to finish this one. So out of high school, I lived in New Zealand for two years serving as a service and proselytizing missionary with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It was an incredible experience and probably what opened my eyes to how much better life is when you put other people as the focus of your life instead of yourself. Anyway, my advisor has told me to not even mention it because it places me into the, quote, religious pile, which ends up in the garbage. And because the LDS church has the stigma. Has the stigma of being conservative, which also ends up in the garbage. What are your thoughts? <laughs> my thoughts is that advice is garbage. Um, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> you know, I, I have, I've had students in the past who were LDS students and <clears throat> went on their mission. And uh, their mission was incredibly uh, impactful. For their story, and so I have, I say you have to tell your story, and you have to tell what happened and how it impacted you and all that. Now, when you're doing that, you ha you you have to avoid as much as possible using using language that is too um, LDS-ish language. In other words, um, so for example, you would not want to use the word proselytizing missionary. In other words, it's one thing, in my view, in one thing, it's one thing to say I was there as a uh, on a service mission for the G Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints or whatever, uh, or whatever church you're involved with. But I do think there's a concern for for medical school admissions committees, particularly members of missions committee who are not religious or who don't have you know, that sort of angle to their life um, that you're going to use your um, practice of medicine as a proselytizing effort. And whether or not you intend on doing that, I hope you don't. But what, what my point here is um, you can't, you have to recognize who your reader is. And your reader may have no idea of uh, what LDS is all about. They may have heard things and, and they may have heard negative things or they may have heard positive things or whatever, but you can't use jargon uh, that is churchy jargon. Uh, w w that is, would be something to avoid. <clears throat> and, and I think that you focus in on 
the meaning as it, as you just did in this in this question, putting other people as the focus of your life instead of yourself. That's very impactful language that everybody, regardless of their religious background or or whatever upbringing, uh, they understand what that means. Putting other people first. So. First and foremost, I think you have to be careful about using too much churchy language that may not be understood by a reader and be very clear on what your intentions are with in, within the context of medicine. Yeah. Um, but I, I do not agree that there's there there's a religious pile that ends up in the garbage uh, or that there's a conservative pile that ends up in the garbage either. I don't agree that that's the case. Yeah, we've actually gotten a couple of questions, not as specific as the the volunteer missionary work, but about, you know, religion and politics lately. And I mean, 50% of America is conservative, 65% of America is Christian. Like those aren't red right, stripes. Not, right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. That's part of our makeup. Yeah. Um, we're made up of other things too. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but that yeah. hasn't suddenly gone away. I wanted to ask a question around this. I know this is, we've been on this topic for a while, but I think it's really meaty. So sometimes when we have folks who um, have done military service, they'll talk about, well, technically I'm on 24 seven, but you know, maybe, maybe 20 hours a week I was doing medic work. So that counts as clinical, right? But they're not mm -hmm. counting Everything. All of their time in the military is clinical. They're just counting the time they were actively being a medic. And I, I don't know if this, uh, um, for this particular question asker, I don't know what um, her exact scope of work was. And I'm and I'm sorry, it might've been in the question, but I was still trying to moderate in comments. But like, I'm thinking of the example of a lot of, um, a lot of students in Ohio go to Central America to do missionary work, but while they're down there, they're doing work that's a lot like Habitat for Humanity. So mm -hmm. there, there is some evangelism, right? That's a yeah, big sure. Christianity in Ohio is to go somewhere where they speak Spanish and do some converting, but they also are building houses for people. Yeah, so yeah. I just wondered, is this the kind of thing where someone might think about trying to extract the thing I did that is um, separate from my church work as service, like, I mean, I just wondered, is that, is, do you think that that's key to how they define it? Um, like when you're literally counting hours, you know, like if you're, if you're doing missionary service for two years, you know, are you counting? I mean, obviously you're not counting when you sleep and whatnot, but do you think that what the volunteer work is needs to be quantified or separated into groups? Hmm. I, you could do it that way, in my view. You could you could do it that way. You could say, "Well, when I was on mission, I we would go once a week for five hours and do you know build houses, or we would go work in clinic for uh, in a clinic for two days a week, and that was typically eight to ten hours a day, you know, whatever." You could do it that way. I think some students could also do it in terms of uh, of the big capsulation of saying. I was on mission for these two years, uh, you know, for basically 40, 50, 60 hours a week. We did service and stuff. And these are the things I did in that service opportunity in those hours. I did X, Y, and Z, and, sure. you know, do it that way. So I, I don't think either way is right or wrong. I think it, it depends on what the student is comfortable with and, and, and you know, focuses and, and how they want to focus the reader in terms of what, what their, um, 
what they're trying to to get across. Mm-hmm. I want to bring up the the LDS one one more time, um, just to make sure that the the conversation is around um, putting LDS in the activity section. And, and potentially not putting LDS in a personal statement unless, as, as we always talk about, unless it is specifically tied to why do you want to be a doctor? Now, right. where I find this trap is very common for LDS students is the narrative around service and go, well, as as an LDS church member, service is ingrained to us. It's part of our life. I went on this two year mission. I love service of people, and that's why I want to be a physician. In my mind, that's not a good reason as to why you want to be a physician, right? Just stay in the church and go proselytize for the rest of your life. Um, that that doesn't mean just because you like service and and service to others doesn't mean that you should be a physician. So right, just be careful with that narrative. Yeah, I agree. Well, and again, I think um, I'm I'm erring on the side of reprobing because I really want to make sure our listeners understand we're thinking about this from many different angles. That would also be true if someone's personal statement said, "I worked for the Red Cross as, mm-hmm. um, you know, a phlebotomist for ten years, and I loved that service for people." Like, well, maybe that's all you want to do, right? like. Or I did Habitat for yeah. Humanity. Like, do you want to go into construction, right? Like, yeah. clinical work is good. Different experiences are good, but. If that's in your personal statement, how does that tie directly? Yeah. You You know, like you got to think about the seed that said medicine. Yeah, exactly. As opposed to a seed that says ministry or a seed Mm -hmm. that says, you know, uh, construction or, you know, whatever art. Yeah. 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 Good. Uh, We're at the point now where the questions look like they're for me because I'm just pasting in from other people. So you can grab those, Ryan. Uh, let's see. So this one here, student asks, um, I've shadowed a DO for a long time. I know he will write me a strong letter along with my MD letter. (laughs) Oh, he wants to know, can he send a DO letter to an MD school? Um, you can send a DO letter Mm -hmm. to an MD school. Um, I, I would not send an MD letter, a DO letter, every letter you can get kind of letter, but right. yes, a, a DO letter. This is actually a question that came up in our pre-med hangout recently. A student asked if they could replace an MD letter with a PA letter, and I said, no. No. Um, but a DO letter is equivalent to an MD letter, so that's perfectly yeah. fine, even for allopathic MD schools. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Uh, another student asks, what are the pros and cons of taking post-bac undergraduate classes at the same school you plan to apply to? Yeah, I don't, I don't like that idea, um, for, for a couple of different reasons. One is depending on the size of the school, you're going to run out of classes to take. If you're upper level biology, if you're a biology major originally, well, and no, then no, you're re- reset this, Scott. So I think you're okay. thinking of the same school that you did undergrad at. This right. is the same school you plan to apply to. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. No, I, um, I, I, that would be fine. I, I just don't think you can have unrealistic expectations that that's going to somehow. Now, if they have a linkage program where you get an automatic interview or automatic, you know, whatever, then that's one thing. But I, I think you have to have realistic expectations about that 
about how that how that's going to go. And I don't think that that's the uh, the sufficient reason to go to that post back program is because of those linkages and stuff. I think you find one that really fits your needs in a broader sense, and then you go for it. Uh, and if there are linkage programs, then that's gravy. Yeah. Um, I, I boosted my volume, by the way, inside of StreamYard, so let me know if uh, you all can hear me better. Whoa. <laughs> Just kidding. The, um, so there are some schools, right? We, we do know of some schools that have some preference for their undergraduate counterparts. Those are usually state schools that at UC Riverside is one that comes to mind, right? Riverside Medical School does save some seats for Riverside undergraduate students, but that is mm -hmm. very mission specific yeah. to that school because they are trying to serve a specific population the Inland Empire of California, of Southern California, right. and right. their students at that undergrad are typically from that same area as well. Right, right. Um, so there's, there's one. So if you're from Northern California, go to Riverside. Don't expect necessarily, mm -hmm. or if you're from Nevada or yep. Arizona or wherever. Yeah, and, and then expanding on that, all right, a very common why do you want to come to this school answer is, well, I did my undergrad here. Like, mm -hmm. okay, so like, yeah. what does that mean? Yeah, uh, so what? <laughs> means my significant others here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know all the happy hour special local spots. <laughs> <laughs> We're giving you more credit than that. I'm sorry. I'm just being playful. I yes. love you pre-meds. <laughs> all right, let's see. Next one. Is leadership experience a necessary part of the application? Can I show leadership in my other activities that impacted me? Absolutely, you can. It's yeah. I, necessary. I don't know about that. Um, beneficial, yes, I think so. Um, you can definitely show leadership in a lot of different ways. It's not, you don't have to, you know, there's no pigeonhole thing that says you have to do it this way or that way. So there's there's a lot of different ways that you can show leadership and certainly in other activities that, that impacted you. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a great part of an application if you have it. Uh, necessary is probably a little bit of a strong word, mm. uh, I would say. But um, but, you know, I think you have to think broadly about what leadership is all about and what are the skills related to leadership and then talk about those skills that you've developed through these activities. Um, so I think it's a very doable thing uh, and, and it's not stretching the truth or whatever. You're really just pointing out um, things that you've done that, that have an impact. Yeah. Yes. That all comes down to impact, right? Mm -hmm. that last yeah. Word you mentioned impact. It's the so what? It's the so what part. It's the so what? Exactly. So if, if you're not specifically labeling an experience, quote unquote, leadership, can you still find a way to work in a story of leadership? Or there are potential opportunities, depending on how many activities you have and, and what you need to do. Um, is there an opportunity to split an activity into two where one of them is the leadership side of the activity and the other one is uh, a non-leadership. So perfect example I see all the time is someone who was a scribe and they'll have one activity that says scribe and then in the description somewhere, 
they 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 briefly mention, oh, I was like the scribe trainer or the lead scribe or whatever mm -hmm. potential language mm -hmm. that is. I'm like, is there a potential opportunity depending on the impact, again, going to the impact of, of that position, can you potentially list being the lead scribe or head scribe or scribe trainer, whatever that is, as a separate activity, label that as leadership Mm -hmm. And then, and then focus on the impact as a leader in that description, and then put the quote unquote just describe as a separate activity. Yeah, yeah, um, in there as well. Yeah, I agree with that. That's a very right. good example. This is the last of the ones that look like they're for me, and then we'll get to live questions. Um, previously thought I wanted to be PA. Now I'm fully committed to med school. Welcome to the dark side. In that time, <laughs> I have lost contact with most of my school professors. How should I go about reconnecting with them without giving the impression that I, I need them just for a letter of recommendation? I've only been out of undergrad for a year. Oh, just a year? Yeah, yeah, you just I mean, that's part of their job. And they do it for alums, you know, uh, all the time and uh and, and i would just say you know you just have to just do it and just contact them and say hey how's it going here's what i'm doing can you like can you write me a letter yeah that's basically it it's real straightforward yep don't i i think what you don't do is somehow you know contact them and chit chat and, and everything and then you know at the end say oh by the way, <laughs> by the way. it'll be a little uh, a little transparent what you're what you're up to yeah it'd be so much worse yeah right. exactly. like, don't make me wonder <laughs> just hit it up front hey i need a letter uh, I wanted to ask if volunteering at flu clinics and COVID testing sites where my responsibilities are to check patients in, answer the questions, count as clinical experience. I would say yes. Sounds like it. Yeah. That's an easy one. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, that easy. Cl clinical is what are you doing? Not where are you? Not, yeah. Um, yeah. not what is your title? What are you doing? Yeah. yeah. Um, interacting with patients in any sort of clinical-ish way. Right, the the one caveat I always give to that is like outside of patient registration, because I got into an argument once with a student saying, "Well, I I do patient registration in the emergency department." I'm like, "It's not clinical," but I'm talking directly to the patients. I'm like, "It's not clinical." You're asking their name, phone their number, name, insurance number. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> not clinical but yes checking them in how are you doing how are you feeling anything going on you have any questions yeah. about what's going on today yeah. yeah vital signs you certainly if you do that yep yeah definitely uh and i'm a non-trad who had many w's and f's when i first decided to go to college in 2015. Um, well, this gets way cut off this is it yeah. it's mini scrolls I, I'm um, assuming this means W's and F's when I first decided to go to medical school in 2015. Uh, no, it says college. Well, I know, but that doesn't make sense if they had W's and F's before they decided to go to college, unless uh, that was in high school. Anyway, um, or go back to college maybe in 2015. Um, yeah. I ended up leaving school and not coming back for personal health-related issues. In the summer of 2020, I decided to go back to school at a new community college in my hometown. I have maintained a 4.0 for the past two terms. I am in the process of doing an academic renewal at my previous school, and I'm on track to enter a TAG agreement 
Todd Garrett with UC Davis for the neurobiology, physiology, and something, something. All right, I'm trying to go through this. I was actually just writing this person to see if they could condense it. It looks like the crux of the question is, will my previous pre previous Fs hinder my GPA so much that it won't matter? Yes, so it, it sounds like those Fs are on the college record, not high school. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to go into the calculated GPA. Yeah. Uh, that's absolutely true. Now, what you do with that... You know, saying if there's a lot of them, and even if you go into some, I forget what word you used for that, but a renewal, academic renewal program or something, yep. MCAS doesn't care about that. That nope. you still have to count everything. So, yep. Um, so yeah, it's going to hinder you. Now, the the question is, what are you doing now, and how's how are you moving forward with that? So, um. You know, making good grades at community college is a good start. Um, <clears throat> making good grades at university to finish out, you know, your program, your degree or whatever is um, is a necessity. No uh, luxury for, um, I would say, very little room for B's and no room for C's or below. I mean, you got to you got to really hit it out of the park. Yeah. For the remainder, not that you have to have a 4.0, but you know, you just you, there's very little wiggle room. You, you, you've gotten yourself in a hole, and, and in order to climb out of it, you've got to really uh, do well. Yeah, never, never say never, right? We, right. we talk about schools right. all the time, we, we talk about upward trends again. Mm -hmm. The, the director of admissions, right. who I just talked to. For the pre-med years this week, they're, they're looking at the last 60 hours. I know schools that look at last 20 hours. There's some schools that do the 32-hour rule. So yeah, uh, never, ever, ever say never. Right. Agreed. Unless you say never, say never. Then you can say never. Oh, my God. <laughs> that gets confusing. <laughs> at what point are clinical experience or related extracurricular experiences outdated? I don't think they're ever outdated. Part well, we have talked about story. if you did it in high school. Well, that's not outdated. That's like pre, like pre allowed. That's, yeah, before the. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I would say splitting hairs, the, Ryan. Well, oh. I would say that the the issue here more is what is if you did clinical hours, let's say ten years ago and you haven't done anything since, then that's a problem. Uh, if you, and if you did stuff, you know, six, eight years ago, and you've continued to do things throughout the recent past, then then you're good. I mean, you, you include all that on your application and, and it doesn't get outdated. It's just a continuation of what you've been doing for many years. And so uh, I, I don't, think the word outdated is is accurate but i understand yeah. what they're trying to say and if you got if there's been a lag and you don't have as much now and you had a bunch before then i think that could be problematic not because they're outdated but because of you know they're the, skewed yeah exactly yeah i think i think exactly right that outdated i don't think is ever a thing because the application we talk about all the time is is your story of, of, right. of your journey and so something you did 10 years ago is still pertinent potentially but you have to have been doing some things if you took a hiatus in the last six months year two years when you've decided to get back into this 
you have to show that continued experience going on. But if that's a similar situation, what you did 10 years ago is still very relevant. Yeah. And again, the, the general rule of thumb, kind of what Rachel, you were talking about is after high school is generally what we want to see or ge yeah. the general rule of thumb for the application. Right. right. After graduation from high school. Yep. Yes. What are med schools looking for in the following experiences? Research shadowing, <laughs> clinical experiences, and community service. <laughs> oh, this is. Uh, well, so yeah, I think actually yes. Ryan wrote a book on that. And so can you just yes, read your book? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. They are looking for research, research, shadowing, clinical experience, community service. Yes. Yeah. They're definitely yeah. looking for those. Yeah. I, I, it's it's an impossible question to answer. We're we're not laughing at you, the student. It's just an impossible question to answer. It's basically like saying, "Tell me everything I need to do to get into medical yeah, school," which yeah. it's just we can't answer that. Um, you need <clears throat> you need clinical experience to formulate in your own brain and and reassure yourself that you want to be a physician, that you like being around patients. Shadowing to to understand what the life of a physician is like is important for you to formulate and make sure that you know what you're getting yourself into. Research is important to show curiosity and, and inquisitiveness and challenging the status quo. Um, community service is important just to show service uh, above yourself. All of those are important. None of them are super, super ex like required, um, but go, go and do what you wanna do. Yeah, agreed. How do medical admissions review 31 credits of post-bac coursework? Most are 300, 400 level, but 10 credits of 200 level sciences from the be very beginning of the post-bac work. Well, I think, so my feeling it would, would be, for example, if, if you had to go back and take general chemistry or general biology, those are gonna be lower level courses. So in this questioner's vernacular 200 level science courses before you can get to three as well as physics before you can get to 300 400 level classes so post back you know particularly if you're a second career person and you had to kind of you had a bachelor bachelor's in something else and are having to go back and start you know the sciences from scratch and that's going to pretty much be the way it is or if you're retaking classes that you did poorly in previously those might be some two some lower level uh type of courses that you have to take um so i think it depends a little bit in the 31 credits of what the mix is what they what i think admissions committees really want to focus in on are upper level biological science classes as much as possible to see what what kind of performance you can have in those rigorous uh science classroom courses not that lower level sciences are uh are easy or not rig not rigorous but i think it is a little bit different at least that's my take on this particular question what should go into a letter of intent versus a letter of interest so i i want to like i i want to like for once and all not not for all but like take a stand right now that letter of interest should not exist period 
right? Mm -hmm. Your application is your letter of interest, right? Um, letter of intent, completely different story. We can talk about that, but I, I don't know what you think about that, Scott. I don't know if you see a specific situation where a letter of interest potentially comes into play. I don't, I don't know. See, I sort of see timing as a part of the difference. Yeah. So a letter of interest might be sent if you are on a wait, let's say, for example, if you're on a waiting list. Mm. At, a, at, a, at, a, at a medical school and you might send a letter of, of intent that says, if I'm offered a place, I will come. That's a letter of intent that Correct. says, I intend to come if I'm offered a place in your class. Correct. Got letter it. of interest, I would see as more of general saying, hey, I'm really interested in your school. Please give me an interview or whatever. But, but um, that's what the application is like. Hey, I'm yeah, no, and I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. I, I'm just pointing out kind of what I see as the differences. Yeah. And I agree completely that a letter of interest is unnecessary. I think medical schools, you know, talking about trash bin, I think they, you know, they yeah. probably keep them, but they don't, they're meaningless. I, I don't think they're, you know, that, that just doesn't do anything for an admissions committee because they get so many and they hear so many, you know, stories about, oh, I'll go there, I promise. And, you know, <laughs> this is my favorite school ever, and I've never want to go anywhere else. And then they offer you a place and you're gone. You're you're going somewhere <laughs> else. And it's like, what yeah. the hell? Don't do that, please. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so letter of intent, in my mind, uh, a good opportunity for a letter of intent is post-interview, right? Because you're saying, yep. I'm going to come there. You've yeah. already interviewed me. You've shown that you liked me. Now, yep. now I'm 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 calling in my my dibs here that that I want to mm -hmm. come to you. Um, mm -hmm. It's a good opportunity potentially to mention any weaknesses to say, hey, I I know uh, I, I I enjoyed interviewing with you. I know that this this weakness came up in my interview. Here's what I'm doing to work on it. Um, I want to let you know that that if if uh, you do accept me, I will come, right? In whatever language that looks like. Yeah. And it makes it even stronger, especially right now with the new traffic rules, the, the AAMC traffic rules. If you can say, I already have an acceptance to another school, but if you accept me, I will come, right? It takes, yes. it takes the neediness out of it. And yeah. because schools can't see that information anymore until much later on in the cycle, it gives right. them a better chance of predicting their numbers. Yeah, that's right. Agreed. Would it be wise to address academic dishonesty and other challenges during my undergrad that may have impacted grades during some terms, like sudden deaths, mental health issues, divorce, etc.? Well, you have to mention academic dishonesty. Yeah. Those are those are two separate things, yeah, right? Academic two, dishonesty yeah. falls under institutional action, right? Um, right. Which you have and to mention. Yeah. Now the other, other yeah, the other stuff, I think you mention them as it relates to your story. Um, you know, whether that's in the personal statement or some optional essay or a, or a secondary uh, essay, you know, they, so for example, a, a, a common secondary application question is to address any adversity or difficulties that you've experienced in your life and how you, how you met those challenges. And so that's where you would, you know, potentially mention, divorce or, you know, death of a, you know, a, a parent or a grandparent or something that was really meaningful to you or whatever. Mental health issues are touchy subject. And I think you have to be very careful, um, 
with that related to it re really has to be a, a significant part of your story. But even at that, I think you have to be very careful in how you talk about it and how you um, talk about what it meant in your life uh, and, and how you've overcome those you know, those uh, difficulties or whatever, um, not to scare you, but I, I do think it can be a little dicey sometimes depending on what the issue is. Yeah. And I mean, I would say to some degree, that's true with any of the major life issues, right? Like, unfortunately, we are still dealing with a little bit of stigma around mental health, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. A, a sudden death is horrible. And I'm sorry if that happened to you. A divorce is traumatic for everybody involved. Yeah. Um, but life happens during med school too. So I think the key thing, Scott, that you said that this listener and you know, needs to resonate with is how I overcame it. How yeah. did I work through that challenge? Right. Um, so that, you know, if, yeah, if it's part of your story and that's why your grades went down, I, I think that that's okay to talk about, to at least, you know, briefly acknowledge. But the real thing you want to talk about is what you did to work through it, not not the thing happening to you, but the thing you learned from the thing happening to you. Yeah, ex absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you could also put, I had a student that I was working with recently who um, had an addiction issue. And uh, had been under, you know, addicted to drugs and alcohol, and we spent uh, a year in a rehab program, and it's been been and this was a very important part of his story. So he told the so he told the story, and uh, and he now has uh, six acceptances and is trying to decide what he wants to do. So. It's very possible, though. Yeah, right. Not too shabby there, Dr. Wright. Right. Right. <laughs> and it's all because of my assistant. <laughs> has nothing to do with his Whoa. resilience in the face of adversity. Right, exactly. It's all me. <laughs> 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 all right, let's pop up this next one. Uh, one of my classes this semester is online and does not meet regularly, nor does the professor have regular office hours. How can I develop a connection with the professor so I can ask for a letter of recommendation toward the end of semester? Should I tell them now that I'm looking to get a letter of recommendation later? I'll answer the last question first. Yes. Um, and the first question last, that's going to be hard. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. The, the whole point of a letter of recommendation is they know who you are. They can speak to, to who you are, your personality, your strengths, weaknesses, whatever. Yeah. Um, and online class where you're not meeting with a professor ever is that's going to be tough. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. It's going to make it difficult. I'm, I, you know, my immediate uh, question is, is, is it absolutely necessary to get a letter from that particular professor? Is are there other professors that you could potentially get a letter from instead? Um, so that may not be possible, though. Yeah. I was wondering if pet therapy is considered clinical experience. I was pre-vet most of college, and I've spent a lot of time at nursing home nursing homes taking baby goats, chickens, rabbits, dogs and other therapeutic farm animals to patients while providing emotional support. Before we answer this, I think this is, this is always cracks me up because my wife has severe allergies and I always like, like therapy dogs are so common in hospitals. I'm like, what if the patients are allergic? But 
Uh, I, diver- I dive, the whatever, and diverge, digress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I see this as clinical. It, it, you're you're dealing with patients. Uh, the patients in the nursing home. You're you're you know. I, I mean, what's the difference between that and going and reading a book to them, or uh, you know, in this case, you're just taking farm animals and playing with the patients and stuff like that. So I think it's clinical. Yeah, it's interesting to me because I feel like this person front loaded the question in a way that made it seem like it's not. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. there's 30 words about animals before we get to, I provided emotional support for humans. Yeah. So maybe just a note for your essays, you want to flip that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, what, but cool, Scott. Let me ask you what What's the difference potentially with this compared to providing quote unquote emotional support during game night at the nursing home? Um, I think that's a good question. Um, I will um <laughs> ask you. <laughs> yeah, I will ask you your your feeling about that question, Ryan. You're the one that asked. You you tell us what you think. Yeah. Again, I think it always comes down to what are you doing? All right. Specifically you. Um, There Mm -hmm. may be some of these therapy sessions where all the animals are in one room and and all you do is you bring the animal, the the nursing home residents interact like it's a petting zoo and you're not really doing anything. To me, that's similar to game night where you're just going, playing, having fun with the residents. That's in my mind, not a clinical experience versus going room to room, interacting, talking to the patient, seeing how they're doing. Obviously the the patient is petting the goat and the chicken and the dog or whatever. Um, But there's more of that emotional connection one-on-one. Yeah, I agree. That I would consider clinical. Yeah, I agree with that. Actually, I don't agree with it, but I'm going to agree so you can go on. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> wow. God. Scott don't play. Don't play with our pre-meds emotions like that. I'm so sorry. You're <laughs> one. I don't mean to play with your emotions. Yeah, the, salient, uh, the salient lesson you can get out of that, guys, is it's not black and white, and it won't be with yes. the admissions committees either. Yeah, exactly. You and And, you know, this is a good opportunity to say that when you have an experience – at some level or another, it's going to be how you describe the experience and how you talk about the experience. Yeah. And if, if an admissions committee member in an interview, for example, challenges you on that, well, I don't really see that's as clinical, then you have to have, you know, you have to be loaded uh, to respond to that question and, yeah. and to argue with them and, and, and say, well, I, you know, I felt it was clinical for this, these reasons, ABC, you know, whatever, this is what I did, et cetera. And, um, and, but you just have to be prepared for all that. Not that that necessarily may happen, but you have to recognize that there will be sometimes differing opinions about what it, what is or is not clinical. And you have an opinion about yours, uh, that you need to stand firm in. And, 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 you know, and so if I was if I was a, an examinee, if I was a, an interviewer and I challenged you on that, you just kind of wilted like a flower, then that would be a problem for me. But if you stood up for yourself and said, well, here's what I why I thought it was clinical and and you really, you know, were forceful about your opinion about that, then that would mean something else to me. Yeah. 
I wish we'd thrown this up before you said all that. <laughs> um, my research involves a clinical aspect to it. I'm wondering if I can count this additional clinical experience. I interact with patients and gather data, but it is research. So I wanted to know if I could, if it could be both, uh, or should I just count it as research only? Yeah, we, we've talked about splitting stuff mm -hmm. before. You definitely yeah. can split it. Yep. Um, if it is truly research and it's not just a title of research coordinator or something like that, which usually isn't research, you're just kind of gathering data, hanging out with the patient, then, then that's probably more clinical. But yeah, yeah definitely, definitely can uh, split those. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, going back to the, the previous one and what you had mentioned, Scott, about kind of making sure that you're focusing on the right things. I, mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of times students will write something as clinical experience. They'll mark something as clinical experience. And then the first line of the description is, most of my experiences revolved around non-clinical aspects like cleaning the room and changing yeah. the sheets. And I'm like, don't like, don't focus on that. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, don't talk about that. It's one thing to have a red flag in your application. It's another thing to have a red flag that you yourself <laughs> pound into the ground and and unfurl. <laughs> like, I, I love that you want to be completely transparent here, but right. you don't need to shine a light on all of the like imperfections. <laughs> Exactly. You know, I swear, I think some of that is so many of us were brought up with this like style of argumentative writing where we were told the first thing we had to do was list all the cons and dismiss them. Mm. And I'm like, okay, yeah. So our seventh grade English teachers, they did want that, right? But yeah. when yeah. you've got 1,325 characters, just yeah, you got to move on or less than that. It, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, write it for yourself and then. Maybe Move on. Why I'm, I'm good at this is because I was a horrible English student for a long time. Yeah, you don't play by those rules. <laughs> I do not. No. Yeah, Ryan gets right to the point. <laughs> okay. I'm over 200 units in undergrad. Oh, that's a lot. I'm currently yeah, in a positive trend for my post-bac classes, both core science and upper division. How do I know when it is enough? Like GPA cutoffs and whatnot. Whew. Right, Scott. You you've talked forty five hours ish. Yeah, forty. Upwards. I, I yeah. I think uh, forty five hours is is you know depending on what your GPA is. I think if you can gather forty forty five hours of upper level um, biological science uh, or or hard science classes, but upper level um, that you uh, have shown to be strong in strong meaning three, five or better, generally speaking, then I think you're, I think that's, 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 that, that says that uh, it's a statement. It says, I, I can do this at a high level. Yep. Yeah. At, at 200 credits, your GPA is not budging much, um, unfortunately. So yeah, I, right. I think I, ideally you're above a 3.0. Sometimes that's impossible and you just need to bite the bullet and go, I have 60 hours at close to a 4.0. I'm going to apply it. I don't really care what my yeah, GPA that's is right. at this point. No, that's right. Yeah, and, you know, I think there are, you know, when we talk about cutoffs, I mean, I think a lot of schools have cutoffs, but I think a lot of schools – have a lot of different kinds of cutoffs that they use and that they look deeper into GPAs and, 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 and nuances of a GPA. And, and, and so it's not all just straightforward, just overall GPA and here's the cutoff and you're done if you don't meet that. I don't think it yeah. works that way. 
Yeah. So, so for instance, very similar to kind of what we're hoping to build into Mapped with as we dig into the ability more, is a school can say, I don't want to see anyone less than a 3.0 unless their last 60 hours are above this or mm -hmm. this or right. they, they could yes. potentially have that sort yes. of, of algorithm built out. That's correct. That's correct. I, I think, again, going back to Rachel, what you said, it's not all black and white. I think mm -hmm. students is just humans in general. We want like, what is the answer? And unfortunately, it's everything. Yeah. Yep. Everything. And it's going to vary school to school, committee to committee, year to year based on the applicant pool. Yeah. yeah. And that's, um, why that's right. Everything. Yeah, that's right. Right. And I mean, that's why, Ryan, I think that you paraphrase me, I'll paraphrase you. You got to put your blinders on, right? Don't look left or right. Just choom, go yep. forward. That's right. That's right. As, All right. as well, my here's... good friends at Nike say, just do it. <laughs> All right. Let's try to squeeze in a couple quick ones before we go. How do I decide whether or not to take a gap year? You ask yourself, self, do I need to take a gap year? Or do I want to take a gap year? Yeah. Need and yeah. want two different things. And, and yep. you know, some students just want it because they want to do something that they'll probably never have time for again in their life. You know, and and I don't like the little the emoji that you, you used at the end of the thing. It makes it sound negative, like a gap year is negative. And yeah. so I think I think a gap year can be one of the best things that a, a student can do uh, to for mental health reasons, for enjoyment reasons, for, you know, financial reasons. I mean, there's yeah. a whole load, just a whole list of things that you can do in a gap year. But and what, uh, what you did not just mention is gap years are a good thing because it looks good on an application. Right. That's the one reason not no. to take a gap year. Correct. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. All right. So this is circling back to a comment you made before. Academic fresh start. Will my old yep. GPA be calculated in with my new GPA for AMCAS? Yes, it will. Yes, it will. It only applies. Texas academic fresh start only applies to schools in the state of Texas that are public institutions. Where you apply through TMDSAS. That is correct. Or Tim Doss, as Rachel used to call it. <laughs> Okay, I got it now. I got, got it now. It. You got it. We're all learning. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, we are not going to get to everything today, guys. You were you you were hungry. I like uh, this one. I, let me. Can I put one up? Yeah. Go ahead. I like I like this one. Not a medical question, but how are you all doing? We're doing good. I'm so good. I cannot believe how good I am. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling good. Da -na 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 -na. Like I should. -na 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 -na. I, I won't I won't wow. sing anymore, I promise. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even it's not even like I don't know, mid, <laughs> full moon or something today. I don't know what to do. Can we fit in this last one here? There's or, a million. Pick the one you want. Yeah. Yeah, I pick, I, whichever the last one is your meaning. I see this really big one at the end here. Nice. Um, just... I serve on the Board of Ethics and 
equity for the Rad X Up study, a project to increase COVID-19 testing in nine Massachusetts communities and better understand community thoughts on COVID-19 vaccines over the coming months, where my responsibilities involve participating in shared decision-making across each aspect of the work, contributing to the development of the ethics and equity framework, reviewing of additional materials and ethics equity issues that arise. Arise, wow. and uh, there's more. So with the ethics equity issues arise that within the context of the Radix Up implementation, I'm struggling on how to categorize this experience and hoping you can give me some advice. Thank you very much. Hmm. Leadership? Wow. Uh, yeah, definitely leadership. Um, I think, it, I think it, it could actually go a number of different directions. It certainly is clinical well. Uh, of all participants shared decision making. Uh, I guess not really as much clinical, but I definitely think it's leadership experience. And, you know, to me, this sounds like an amazing opportunity that you've, you know, that you're involved with. And uh, yeah. uh, I would talk about it anywhere I could in the application. But um, yeah, I would say definitely, definitely a leadership experience. Yeah, it doesn't well, doesn't sound clinical. Maybe yeah. potentially research, depending on what you're doing and how you're yeah. doing it. But yeah. most definitely research. Yeah, so. community, yeah, community effort, community yep. service. Yeah, yep. yeah, sure. and, and it could be right if it's a volunteer position. It could mm -hmm. be um, volunteer, non-medical, mm -hmm. clinical. Um, yeah, but I, mm -hmm. I think right serving on the board that's a I think a good leadership opportunity. Yeah. Oh, like absolutely. That. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I agree. Cool. Awesome. Man, I, I'd like to do that. That'd be that sounds like an awesome I was experience. Just <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> That's All awesome. Right. Another Asadine in the books, episode yeah. four here and well, on. It's always wonderful to spend an hour with you guys in the evening, both uh Rachel and, and Ryan, but also all the students. I um I you know, I, I've been a little silly tonight, but I do honor all of you and, and honor your time that you spend with us and the, the opportunity that you give us to to be a part of your uh, of your journey. And uh, we 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 uh, we feel strongly that this is all um, that you you know, do the best you can, have a good outlook on life, be positive, and work hard. And it goes back to our to our mission statement, which you can see listed behind me: work hard, be creative, and do good. These are our values, but these are also things that we hope that you guys, that you guys will do as well. Got it. Yeah. Night, and everyone. we can, oh, go ahead. What? You go ahead. Oh, I was going to say we can, um, we can edit this out because this is really just for the live folks. But um, I, I see some of the questions you guys asked are real, you know, quick things I can answer. So I'll, I'll, I'll go through and see what I can pick through and then. For ones that are longer, more complicated, feel free to pre-ask or ask for next week. I try to post next week's pretty early so you guys can get this yeah. queued up. Um, and also post in the group because we do monitor yeah. that. Oftentimes yeah, students answer before we do, but we look. Yeah, if some, you know, if someone's not giving you an answer that's on base, you're gonna you're gonna hear us chime in. So you guys can be a service to each other as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Cool. Well, you guys have a good night. Good night, everyone. Bye. All right. Adios. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free. 
for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.